Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we'll be exclusively discussing, and I honestly do not know how long this conversation is going to take. It could be short, it could be very, very long, <laughs> an episode of Succession, the final season, episode eight, called America Decides. It's election night, election night, Sona. Finally here. Were you wearing your button, your Jimenez <laughs> button? They should have um, done some kind of tie-in. They could have done something with that. You're actually a Stealth Mencken supporter. <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you imagine? No, never. He's got to cut my taxes. That's all that matters. <laughs> and what was your experience of watching this? I was I was stressed out, depressed. <laughs> how, did, how did you feel watching this episode? Well, you know, first of all, I felt like I'm the worst at predicting this show, right? Because I've said a few things with this season that have just not borne out, including that I thought if Mencken was going to win, we would have seen his character a little more up until now. It was the sense of like, wow, I got it wrong yet again. And then it seemed pretty clear that this was supposed to be some parallel to 2016, right? So yeah. I think I resigned myself pretty early on, actually, as to how it was going to come out. So in that way, it didn't stress me out because I was resigned to it. There are some things I think that differentiated a little bit that we can get into. And I think that's kind of the most nightmarish aspects of this particular scenario. But to your point, I think that it's pretty clear, you know, we hear it's not Sid. Uh, it's another woman that actually reminds me a little bit of mm -hmm. Sid here yes, at the I end. Agree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sid 2.0. Uh, she mentions to Tom at towards the end of the episode that this is obviously going to go to court and there's going to be, you know, the, the state committee in Milwaukee, I should say the city committee in Milwaukee, but also the state in Wisconsin, and maybe even federally. This thing's going to drag on, she mentions, for months, potentially, maybe all the way up until the inauguration. I mean, we saw an attempt at this, this most recent election, obviously, although it's, you know, there's, there was really no case to be made in that scenario. In this scenario, this is a very ambiguous situation that we'll get into over the course of the episode. And I think that you, you may not have been wrong, by the way, that um, Mencken wins or not. There's a lot of ambiguity here. Well, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. They're saying, well, we know how Milwaukee would have broken with those absentee ballots, and it's a very close election. You can imagine it being so close, even without the absentee ballots, that maybe has to go to a recount, and maybe the recount goes to Jimenez, True. right? And then that, which I mean, could still be a nightmare, right? Because you can imagine Mencken's supporter, uh, supporters like, you know, rioting in the streets. And I think there is definitely going to be rioting in the streets because we saw it in the trailer for the show itself, right? So something's going to trigger that. Yeah. And in that way, maybe a little bit of a hybrid of 2016 and 2020, where yes. we all mm -hmm. had to yeah. wait, right, to know for sure who really won until several weeks after Election Day. I can't entirely remember. And how about 2000, right? Think about 2000. That of was course, you know, yes. that recount dragged on literally. Yeah. And it was, you know, we were days away from the inauguration and there were still people who were saying, no, the recount's not finished. Right. So it, it, that we dragged down even more so that we kind of forget that one because <clears throat> it's a little further in our memories. But yeah, unfortunately, this has been a pattern <laughs> recently, and I don't think it's going to get easier as time goes forward. All right, let's get into this episode. We open it's Tom and Greg. There's a lot of Tom and Greg in this episode, by the way. I loved Greg in this episode, I have to say. I thought he was the best comic relief. You know, there are times this season that I have found Greg to be, you know, we're seeing a bit of an ugly side of him. You know, I think totally still exists. I don't think Greg is a good guy, but I just, I thought he was really funny here. He was. I mean, we'll get to the whole uh, wasabi incident. 
Even uh, also when he's describing his night with Matson, I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I yeah. drank that things pretty... that aren't normally drinks. Drinks. Yep. I danced with an old, <laughs> with man. An old man. And he didn't want to dance. He didn't know what was happening. <laughs> he was confused. <laughs> Greg asks how Tom's doing. Otherwise, he says, you know, he's not doing well. Marital strife. But this is important, by the way. You mentioned it right off the top that uh, Tom is very interested in how things went with Greg and Matson. And, you know, I'm not sure we can now take Greg fully off the map as to the possible successor because he's making his inroads with Matt with Matson here. <laughs> I get what you're saying. And it did cross my mind as well. I still think it is highly unlikely that it almost seems like they are trying to plant that there is, in election terms, a path to victory for Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe the biggest joke in this very dark episode is when everybody's on the phone. And at some point, they're like, I heard from Greg. I talked to Greg. Uh, yes. From, uh, all of a sudden, Greg is all of a sudden the center of the universe. What happened? Yes. He's the one who's telling everybody with the way the election's going to be called. It's it's pretty amazing. It is. Oh, interesting. When he is having that conversation with Tom, that he says, you know what else I heard from Matson? Shiv has been... Uh, Talking to Matson has some side deal going. Did you know anything about this? And great face acting by by Tom, the actor who plays Tom McFadden. McFadden sounds right. Great face acting. Oh, I don't know anything about that. And of course, she's been looping him in on these conversations. He's been in the room for the conversations. Absolutely, times, yeah. With his feet up on the desk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the siblings are together. I like how Roman is calling everything a false flag. Everything he doesn't like. False flag. False flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anything that sounds bad for Mencken. After that initial conversation among the siblings, we see that Matson reaches out to Shiv. He's talking about like, well, I've been hearing from Greg, like we mentioned earlier. And she goes, you, Greg? And he goes, yeah, you know, uh, we, we include him in the conversation as a normalist. I like this idea as a normalist. <laughs> At this moment, early in the episode, they think that Jimenez is going to win the election. That's kind of the way everything is pointing. Everyone's still trying to get on his good side. Of course, Shiv is feeling pretty comfortable here, trying to grease the wheels here with Matson. They'll be upfront about the numbers in India once the deal is finished. And Matson says, you know what? After talking to Greg <laughs> about all this, I think we're going to keep these numbers to ourselves. There's a lot of stuff leaking out that Mencken's people are driving around in vans. They're kidnapping people, intimidating people. Leaving and, them by uh, the side of the road. <laughs> yep. Nate calls Shiv and wants to know who's watching the Watchmen. Shiv says, I am. Yeah, she's doing a great job of it in this episode. Mm-hmm. And this is when they find out that some rumors about some fights in Wisconsin, it's actually more serious than that. It looks like a ballot processing facility is on fire. Right. Which, of course, becomes a very central event here in the episode. Making has a call with Roman. Originally, he thinks that Roman and Kendall are both being called to meet with him. Turns out, no, he only wants to meet with Roman. This makes Kendall uncomfortable. And then Rava calls Kendall as well. She's being followed. She's uncomfortable. They might have to swing by the building because they have good security there. It turns out that, no, I don't call my daughter when she's being intimidated. I hire a security detail to tail her. Mm-hmm. Good parenting right there. And then Kendall gets off that call and goes directly to having a conversation with Jimenez. Jimenez. He tells him that he's going to make sure it's going to be a fair count that day. And he's also still trying to get some kind of commitment to some investigation of tech. We got to be Got to be hard on big tech, right? And Jimenez does not want to even have that conversation, which might be a nail in this coffin here, potentially how this all turns out. Roman does meet with Megan. These offices must be very close to each other <laughs> in New York. He gets there very quickly. <laughs> Everyone pretty much thinks that he's going to lose. And I like this conversation he has with Roman saying that 
winning takes care of itself. But if I lose, I want to make sure that it is correctly characterized as a huge win. <laughs> mm -hmm. And in a way, he's actually right. I mean, when you think I about agree. the timeline yes. here, Logan breaking that scandal about the current president, he decides not to run. He drops out. It's only six months before the election. Like, think about that. I, I don't think that's ever happened where you had such a small window to pick a new candidate. This guy's a nobody. He comes out in the crowded Republican field, and then they winnow down, and he's able to, you know, use his white supremacist conversation to get enough of a following to win those primaries. And now here he is as the candidate, and maybe not so different from when Trump ran. A lot of people just kind of said, well, that guy's not going to win. And uh, he kind of snuck in and kept winning. And then he potentially wins the whole thing here. So it is a, a pretty impressive insurgency, uh, considering he's a nobody. Mm -hmm. Everybody feels like Greg is a threat all of a sudden. Shiv, Shiv is threatened by Greg. But then Tom is like trying to tell Greg that what menu he needs. No bodega sushi. <laughs> we know who ends up you eating know, the bodega sushi. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a reasonable decision on Tom's part. Tom was obviously a little <laughs> yes, bit on edge and hysterical <laughs> for this entire episode. His reasoning was sound. Like, this is not the time to roll the dice with raw fish from the <laughs> bodega. Agreed, agreed. I mean, that's the type of thing that when you get sick, people are like, well, yeah, you ate sushi from the bodega. So <laughs> <laughs> he wants some pasta. He wants, you know, Nice, neutral food. <laughs> Very neutral, yes. Not even tomato sauce on the pasta, just olive oil. But Greg says to him, Matson was scary, <laughs> but he does feel like he made some inroads there. And he wants to talk about the whole me of the situation. Mm -hmm. Tom, quid pro quo, what can you do for me? Tom does not want to have this conversation. He's definitely jealous of, the, of this, you know, the fact that he's made no inroads with Lucas. I mean, Lucas just spent the previous day making fun of him that he's going to get fired from his position. Mm -hmm. And Greg is now coming back with like some pretty good feelings about the whole situation. And he wants Greg to go out and get him some coffee. He can't be cloudy tonight. They could be blown back to amoebas if he makes the wrong call tonight. <laughs> and Greg goes, I'm not on the coffee anymore. I don't want to. And he's like, you got to do this for me. And Greg goes, well, you know, I have that other thing you asked for. <laughs> I think this is going to be important, by the way. And I'll tell you my theory of the case at the end. Okay. He wants Greg to do it with him. He doesn't want to do it by himself. Greg pretends to snort, snort it, which is very funny. <laughs> he calls him out on it. And then he says he also doesn't want to get addicted. If he does cocaine two days in a row, he might become an addict. <laughs> Greg needs to take some tips from Shiv on how to distract people yes. from the fact that you're not good, doing the drugs good that you're point. offering. Good point. You just start a conversation and start to do it and, yes. you know, fiddling with it and they forget all about yeah. it. And the perils of the uh, glass office. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. They got the, the whiteboard to protect them from what yeah. they're doing. I do like that Tom calls out the fact that this is good for your brain. Are you saying all those Aztecs were stupid? Don't be a racist. <laughs> so, two drugs, don't be a racist. I also like the fact that he warns him that this is not a thing. It's not going in your book one day. <laughs> Connor's upset that he's not getting the, uh, the coverage he wants. What did you get your read on Willa here? She's saying this is Schrodinger's cat until you know, anything <laughs> can happen, until we uh, until we get the count in. If it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen in Kentucky. But the Kentucky numbers come in first, and they are not good for Connor. Connor immediately starts to dread the fact that, oh, maybe this was a miscalculation. He mm -hmm. missed his chance. But the, the, the read I was curious to get on this is Willa says some pretty funny things here before that becomes official. Connor is just basically rubbing his hands together saying like, wow, this is so much more fun when you're actually running for president to be yes. way more vested in this. It's like betting on when a game, right? Like as soon as you bet on like the Super Bowl, it's a way more intriguing right. game once you have money in, in it. Yep, for sure. 
And Willis says, you got to be in it to win it, which is hilarious because basically this means that he bought a $100 million lottery ticket. He didn't buy $100 million <laughs> worth of lottery tickets. He bought a $100 million lottery ticket. <laughs> and that's in a vacuum where everybody's chance of winning is equal, which it is not. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> Good point. Good point. As soon as he finds out that he does not win Kentucky, <laughs> it's no longer Schroeder's cat. He wants that deal with Mankin. Suddenly the slows are a go. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of good rhymes thrown in there. <laughs> so Tom now, after doing his coke, is pretty disinterested when this new this reporter comes in, who seems to be doing most of the actual work. <laughs> and she tells him that the Milwaukee fire looks to be like a real thing. Uh, there are vans in the street in Oregon. She's start, starting to say that she thinks it should be covered as a story. Well, I think she, and also, why am I seeing this on my phone and not on our television news network, right? True, true. And Tom is uh, totally calm. He's just like, yeah, whatever. Your judgment is best. But wait a second. The touchscreen doesn't work. Now this is priority number one. <laughs> Chaos. Which I think is very telling, right? Like, especially in cable news, it has to be visual, right? If it's there's a visual component to it, it gets coverage. All the real stuff, like, oh, there's a fire. <laughs> there might be a terrorist attack somewhere. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm not really that engaged. Wait a second. The touchscreen's not working. That's the prioritization of, of everything on this show and, and maybe in our media in general. I mean, but do you remember we grew up in a time without the touchscreen and it was really cool when they were introduced. <laughs> it was very exciting. You would literally watch just for the touchscreen. You're like, wow. Look just at that. for oh, someone they to touch it and it changed a different color. It was so cool. Yeah. And now it's so much more advanced. You like zoom in, you can see all the little county breakdowns. Oh, so exciting and pointless. <laughs> the results don't really change. Shiv is pressuring Tom as he's you know freaking out about the touchscreen. Shouldn't we be reporting about the firebombing? <laughs> and Tom's excuse is that he doesn't want to be disrespectful to the audience. <laughs> you wouldn't want to give them factual news if it's up, not what they want to hear, <laughs> which once again, <laughs> may be another satirical point here about our actual media. Yes. Roman, of course, calls everything a false flag, continues to call everything a false flag. Because maybe it was the Antifa people who bombed. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure. They love fires, he says. <laughs> they do love fires. <laughs> now, this is the first scene we probably have to spend some time parsing out because it's so much stuff happening here at the same time. The touchscreen thing is going on. Tom's freaking out about that. And then he gets a notification that there's a reporter coming out to talk to him about the coverage, about the election, about the potential terrorist attack on this uh, ballot facility. And she says they're out three or four. She's got three or four minutes. I'm calling this out specifically because this is the moment that Shiv decides to tell her <laughs> that she's pregnant. Oh, I know. Oh, my God. This thing's a shit show, right? Like Roman is down there. They're trying to get him out of there. There used to be a, a separation of church and state, basically, when Logan was there. They have been warned previously that if they... They can get like kicked out of the election pool and like getting all their contacts internally, which of course would destroy them as a news organization. If they're not considered a new news organization anymore, this is of course Logan's pride and joy. He needs to have some semblance of being a legitimate organization. And all the siblings are down there trying to get the journalists to read out the stories that they want them to read. It's a complete fiasco. They're Absolutely. using Greg to hoard them out of there. And with all of this going on, this is where Shiv takes Tom aside. She does apologize to start with, and then she is going back and forth with him. He has this face. She even calls it out, right? She goes, I can't do this to this to that face. And he's like, what should I do to my face to make you happy? <laughs> and he does get pretty ugly. He says not only, 
you hated your father. She goes, I loved my father. He goes, well, it was complicated. And you did kind of kill him. Ouch. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, she uses that, her last, you know, arrow in her. Whatever. She's pregnant with his baby. And then he turns to her and says, is this even real? Like, is this just another play? Which, of course, is incredibly, incredibly hurtful to her. But I didn't want to spend some time here on this because she obviously is starting this conversation and apologizing and everything else. She does want, definitely wants to hear him apologize back to her. There's that aspect to it. She does, I think, want to overcome this. She does want to and probably has wanted to tell him already about the pregnancy. But at the same time, this moment, she's Terrible. trying to, to cover the election in the way she wants him to. So she's trying to get that out of him and conflating that with this all this personal stuff that's going on. Yes, I think Tom was a little bit cruel here, but yeah. I totally understood where he was coming from. And I totally understand why he said the things he said, aside from maybe you caused your father's death. I feel like this is why she's so difficult to root for. Right. She is so immature and so impetuous at times. It has never occurred to her or to any of them because they have grown up with such privilege that like other people have things they are responsible for. Other people have right. things that they need to do that they might not be able to give you their full attention right now, no matter how much money you have. Yes, she has a reason for picking the time that she's picked, but she hasn't thought through the effectiveness of that yes. mother is going to get yes. her what she wants. We'll see it again in another very important scene later on, but I think that's the key point you just hit on there. We were just talking about this a week ago or two weeks ago when she was with Matson. Her strength is being in the room saying, I'm one of the guys, I can give it as well as I take it. And she can use that to get into the room. And then she cannot play out the consequences of her actions. She doesn't have that conniving skill that maybe her brothers do have, the yes. different effect. She can't follow through. And it's a problem here. She walks into the room. She's like, I'm going to try to win him to my side. I know that I have this emotional hook in him that I can use. But then she plays it all wrong. Completely. Yeah, it's incredible how badly she plays this and continuously throughout this episode, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. Roman and Shiv and Ken are back together. Once again, Roman has returned from his meeting with Mencken. <laughs> a very, very quick turnaround. <laughs> they, he's staying next door practically. <laughs> maybe he is. It's the hotel across <laughs> maybe, the street from maybe, maybe yeah. <laughs> No, we saw him in the car, though. So at least it's somewhere farther away. I, I assume within a few blocks, though. Ken's in the middle of this. Shiv obviously has her favorite candidate. We know where Roman's allegiances lie. And Ken feels conflicted. He does at some point feel like this is the wrong direction for the country, the wrong candidate. And he is swayable. Obviously, that is kind of what we're seeing happen here. It's like the, his decision is very central to kind of the way things go. Roman is pushing the fact that Jimenez is not going to block the Gojo deal. He won't make that commitment. And this is when Tom comes in and mentions that there's some of the uh, news channels, these very, very right, right wing, kind of like the analogs for like AON or something like that, are about to call Wisconsin for Mencken, because without the ballots that have been destroyed, they don't think there's enough votes to change the direction of its current standing, which is with Mencken having a small lead. In a way, Roman is the one who's the most adamant about calling this thing. And there's the fact that this state hasn't actually been called yet. But Shiv really doesn't have a leg to stand on when she's trying to get Darwin in there. And Darwin, at least, has everything he says is completely logical. As much as I am repelled by Roman in this episode, he's actually right on this front. There's not going to be a revote. It's never happened in the past. It would be very Agree. difficult to do that. Darwin, for example, is saying like, well, we know more or less 
how those votes would have gone, and it would have been enough right. to put Jimenez over the top. But those votes do not exist. They're not going to count votes right. that don't exist based on demographics. That that's no that right. has never happened in history either. So the fact that she's like saying we have to wait for those type of things to happen, no one's going to use the voting patterns of the previous election. That's never been the case ever in history, and it's not going to happen now. I agree with you. Practically speaking, all of that is true. But I guess that it's more a discussion of everybody's principles. Maybe you need a statement from the election commission saying like, well, unfortunately, what's done is done. So here we are before you make the assumption that what's done is done. Right. Actually, I think you make a really important point. If this election gets completely screwed and they're going to eventually blame ATN for calling it too early, for example, and I have a feeling that's probably the direction this is all going to go, things might reverse and now they're going to be smeared by this scandal. And that's why I think also they had some discussion about the caveats, right? Right. Of like maybe saying, well, we call it, you know, assuming that there is no way to do anything about this situation. And with the knowledge that this will probably be litigated and that could change everything, you could go through a whole long list of contingencies (laughs) um, in order for you to make that call. Only if None of these other things come to pass. Then right, Mencken wins. Right. And maybe this was happening and it was in the background, so we didn't notice. But I assume if there's any kind of lesson that we can learn from watching this, and it is a very terrifying prospect that something like this could actually happen, but it probably could. To, to your point earlier, maybe the real screw up here would be that the election commission should have come out immediately mm-hmm, and said mm-hmm. like, this is going to be yeah. our process. Like this is not going to get called. Right. The- we can't make a call on this. Yeah. Right. Constitutionally, every ballot must be counted. Those ballots yeah. do not exist in a vacuum where there is no information. Then whatever people say is true. And I think Roman understands this. Whatever people say is true will become the truth because no one else knows what to do. And yes. if they go first, then they set a precedent in and of yes. themselves, right? Yeah. And they talk about and that, he gets yes. that. Creating that momentum that can carry him. Yes. Right. Exactly. I mean, because yes, technically all of those things are true. But then, of course, the lawyer in me was, well, everybody that, voted in that area that's ballots were affected could swore out an affidavit saying I voted on this day and this is how I voted and it is an affidavit you are signing right. and swearing under the penalty of perjury that you voted in this way it would be a logistical nightmare but it's probably true that some remedy could have been constructed honestly that's what's interesting about this scenario and I don't know if this is legally true but what is very interesting about it is that theoretically, a revote is actually a potential because you can imagine being sued and saying that you know every vote must be counted literally in the Constitution is what it says, and you can't be like, well, those ballots were destroyed, therefore right. we don't count them. That doesn't work either. Right. Exactly. And like to your point, I think that's a good solution where you can simply say, well, you attest that you did make this vote, and yeah. someone can say, well, they didn't vote that day. Maybe now that they know that the results. They're going to vote a different way because they don't want my candidate right, to win. Right, right. But then you could argue mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who didn't vote who maybe are voting for your candidate now with a second chance, right? And they could be lying on both sides. So yeah. it's um, you know, obviously whoever is currently winning in the count is the one who is adamantly opposed to whatever um yes. the contingency would be. But that can drag on for a very long time, as we know. Very long time. Then we start hearing Ravenhead is actually talking, have taking talking points from Roman and He's really good at spewing this garbage, (laughs) like blaming it all on Antifa. And this is just like running as a flow in the background. And the dialogue is really terrifying here. Like you could, I can completely imagine that it's an election night and one of these 
demagogish TV personalities starts running their mouths in this way and like fomenting a revolution mm-hmm. potentially, right? It's like, it's a very <laughs> terrifyingly pro- yes. possible circumstance here. Matson calls Shiv once again. <laughs> and not only, first of all, it says, what's going on here? Do I have to cozy up to this Mr. Scary now? <laughs> and, he, and he says in passing, once again, I hear from Greg <laughs> that you guys are fighting. <laughs> Greg is talking to everybody. And then Shiv goes directly to Greg and says to him, do you find me attractive? And he gets very, very uncomfortable. And she goes, because I want to know if you're going to fuck me. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I don't want to have this conversation. She goes, oh, I thought you were one of the disgusting brothers. Right. So throwing all that in his face. And she says, if you try to, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and then he once again says, okay, you're talking to Madsen. I know you're talking to Madsen. What's in it for me? Once again. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, I won't kill you. But that's not enough for Greg. And understandably. Understandably. She's misplaying her hand. But mm-hmm. hey, Tom did the same thing when he got the same opportunity earlier. Roman comes in to talk to Kendall because he knows that Kendall's still on the fence about making the call and says, Menken says that he will back us. He's going to kill the Gojo deal. And he's the kind of guy who's just going to do it. He's not going to be wishy-washy about it. He's going to do it. And this is when they have the whole thing that you brought up where they bring in Darwin and they start saying, hey, you know, given everything you said before and how this is probably not going to be revoted, we can make the call, but then we'll put up quote unquote pending call on the screen. You could even get on screen and describe the caveats, explain what the process might be. And then Roman, of course, is knowing exactly what he's doing here. He's like saying, what does it matter? There's still another five states. They're all close. This could break a whole bunch of different ways. Why not just call this state? We don't want to be the ones, the last ones here. We want to look good if Mencken does pull this off. And he gets them to make this tenuous call. And this is the beginning of a slippery slope, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. And this very, very dark (laughs) sequence is alleviated by a little slapstick here. When Darwin finally gets convinced to do it, he gets some of that wasabi in his eye. Hysterical. And Greg's like, let me help you wash it out with some LaCroix. It's the lemony kind. He goes, it's not even that lemony. It's just a hint of lemon. <laughs> <laughs> the lemony LaCroix, the worst flavor of LaCroix, I think. You know, I have seen so many heated debates about what the worst flavor of LaCroix is, but I have seen some hate for the lemony one. Yes. Connor talks to Roman and says, hey, maybe I can give him a little more momentum. I will concede in his direction and makes a public announcement saying that it looks like Menken's Menken's going to win. I like Frank and Hugo's reaction as they're watching this happen. Frank (laughs) says, Connor was running for president. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny in this concession speech, he says, well, we never know how things would have gone if it hadn't been for, I won't name them by name, but my first running mate. And then my second running mate. So he's had two running mates, two vice presidential candidates that quit his campaign. It's pretty hilarious. Says, America, you flunked it. And he says, the conheads are coming. It's like Mm -hmm. a threat, like a terrorist movement or something. (laughs) And Willa is watching the speech backstage, mouth open. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's getting later in the night. They call Arizona for Mankin as well. Everybody calls Arizona, even PGN. And now with that pending Wisconsin that they gave Mencken, even though they're the only ones that called Wisconsin, they are now in this pickle where if they call Arizona, they're basically calling yes. the electoral vote total for, for Mencken. And this leads to a fight between Roman and Kendall. Ken saying, maybe we need to back off of that Wisconsin call. Roman throws in his face these such petty things. 
how they always had to eat chicken when they were kids. He wanted to eat steak, but mm-hmm. Big Brother always got to pick chicken. <laughs> so it's just this pettiness is playing itself out on the national stage, which is amazing. Once again, this critique I think they're making of this whole system where these people, these elites are making all these decisions based on just their own personal beefs. Exactly. Beefs, no pun intended, the steak, beef. I mean, but in fairness, we do see that two out of the three of them are conflicted about what's happening. True, true. Roman is really repugnant here. He's like, wah, America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kendall's like, well, you know, it is a pretty good idea. And then this is really important piece of dialogue, which we have, I, I literally, I think we said this in a previous episode, that this whole show is about how nothing matters to these people. And that is exactly what Roman says here, he says, nothing matters. Whatever we break, we can pay for. He doesn't care. None of this matters. It's all about just what is best for them. And America, wham, whatever, big deal. <laughs> and Insane. That's incredibly cynical view. And I think we're seeing Roman uh, in his true light here, right? Well, okay. I think we're seeing the Roman who just lost his dad and has all of this pent up emotion and no place to put it and has lost his sense of identity because all three of them were so strongly defined by what dad wanted and what dad thought and what dad said. So I think, yes, this is a real part of who he is, but I think he's particularly unhinged and unchecked. I mean, he says a lot of that, right? He says, dad just died. Right. And yeah. And he says some very crude things about what America is at this point. And he basically says they basically just rape America now, motorboat its boobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he doesn't care about anything. I think that's part of it. But I also wonder, you know, I think you were the one who brought this up. Maybe it was Better Call Saul and watching the finale of that and then going back to the premiere and like kind of how these episodes become like bookends of each other. And I think Breaking Bad very much has that as well. But if you want to go back to the beginning of this show, you think mm-hmm. about that first episode where Roman is cruelly tormenting that kid with uh, you know, getting yeah. the home run, right? Uh, yeah. You see, it's almost like all these characters are full circle back to where they are at the very beginning of the series. Like maybe they haven't evolved at all. Right. But we see that Kendall just at all costs wants to be CEO. He says it's the Shiv. He confesses the Shiv in another scene. We got to definitely break down that everything that's been going through his mind this whole entire time. But it feels like they're all just back exactly where they were at the beginning of this whole thing. Roman, you know, I think we laugh at him because he's, you know, he blew up that rocket. And- oh my gosh, and I he- forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> he's been such a moron so many times. And in these kind of crazy plans he's had, he's always been kind of on the outs. So we never took him seriously. But now here he is getting what he wants. I don't even think that he is a fascist. He's like, he doesn't care. He just wants to be close to somebody who has that power. I agree. Kendall can't get the scale of this. He feels very conflicted, obviously. And he goes to talk to Shiv. This is an interesting pattern for Kendall too. If you've noticed, remember when he like was on the outs with his dad and he had his own PR firm, he always had to have these women around him telling him he was a good guy. He was doing the right thing. He needs mm-hmm, Rava to tell mm-hmm. him. Now he needs Shiv. He's always looking for women. It makes him feel like he's not doing the wrong thing because he undermines these decision makers every single time they do something that he doesn't want to comply with. Remember how he had that falling out with the head of his PR firm? It's always just to make him feel better. And he goes to see Shiv and it's the same thing. He wants her to make him feel better. 
in his own roundabout way, apologizing for cutting her out of the decision-making. He, deep down inside, has always fantasized about doing it, but doing it by himself, not with the whole mm -hmm. family thing. Mm -hmm. This is what he still wants to have the family in there. This is a very weird way to try to win her over, kind mm -hmm. of confessing in this moment. I know you've never said it to me, but you feel like I cut you out, and I kind of was trying to cut you out, and actually Roman also, and I feel really insecure that Roman's getting close to the next po potential president of the United States of America. So maybe that's the reason I also don't want him to win. So that's interesting too. He's not even saying he wants to feel like he's a good dad, and this guy's probably, if he actually wants to walk his walk, this guy's not good for America and not his view of America. And at the same time, he's saying, but deep down inside, I really just don't want Roman to win because <laughs> it makes Roman more powerful than me if he's the one <laughs> who's best friends with the president of the United States of America. So all this pettiness comes out. He, at the end, he's just having a conversation with himself here at this point and trying to get some positive feedback from her and says, I'm not a good dad. And her response is pretty <laughs> incredible. She says, you're okay. You tried. It's all we can do. <laughs> I like how she's like, she can't even be a full-throated, no, you're a good dad. If she had, I would have been like, wow, she is lying right to his face, which she does do just moments later. Yes, but, um, <laughs> but very, very badly. So we know what and a bad she liar is she is. a bad liar. And maybe yes. she knows that about herself. And that's why she <laughs> right. was like, eh, it'll be transparent anyway. <laughs> I don't feel good about this. If you can get Jimenez, Jimenez to promise that he will do some kind of investigation and try to end this Go Gojo deal from going through, then I'll back this other call. And then this is a huge, huge miscalculation. Once again, speaking to how she's terrible at following through with these plans that she's not good at making to start with. She pretends to call Nate. She's so bad. Goes in and meets up with the, the, her brothers again. And she is just flailing here. She not only lies about calling, she doesn't have a convincing story as to what they told her. She doesn't want to be too concrete about it, obviously, because she didn't actually speak to them. So she wants to be able to back sure. out. I understand that. But she walks into that room having no idea what she's going to say to him. And it just gets from bad to worse. He says, oh, that's not enough because it's so wishy-washy. Calls mm -hmm, up Nate. Mm -hmm. And this is a great scene, by the way. It's all happening. She's talking to Roman about one thing. Now, Roman's panicking that... This vote might go a different way between the siblings. Meanwhile, you see Kendall on the phone with Nate, mm -hmm. looking at her, knowing what happened, then walking over to Greg. Greg is you know, ratting her out about the whole relationship between her. And then he comes in with all this information. But she's just watching them through this glass. You don't hear anything they say. You just see it all happening. It's really, really cleverly done. Yes, I agree. And then that's when Kendall walks back into the room and goes, Roman is right. We're going Mankin. And they call Tom up. And Tom's like, hey, not my decision. I just do what they tell me to do. Even though all day long he's been saying, I'm the decision maker. Nothing happens <laughs> till I say it. And now they're like, well, they told me to say it. I got to say it. Shiv calls him Punches Pilot. <laughs> We're trying to wash his hands clean of this decision. And then, of course, as is the pattern of this episode, Tom is going to go tell everybody, which means he tells Greg to go tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see Greg and Jess. Jess, who, of course, is probably going to be more impacted by this presidency than Greg is. Mm. She's very uncomfortable with the fact that Greg is going to make this call. And he's uncomfortable about it also. What did you think about this whole moment where she's saying, well, you don't have to just go with the flow. You don't have to do it. You can actually wait a few more minutes. What do you think she's trying to say there? I mean, what does it change if they wait a few more minutes? Uh, or does she think maybe there'll be more information about the 
what's happening in Wisconsin. If you bide your time and you wait, maybe the facts will change. What do you think is happening in this delay here in the, in the hallway? I'm not sure, practically speaking, what's happening, but I feel like this episode was very much about everybody's lack of conflict with their own principles and what they have signed on to do as a livelihood and the consequences of that. I'm not really sure practically what she thought could or would happen, but I think it just was in keeping of people really being faced with the consequences of their choice to be on this side of things. I think this is also a criticism that I've had, and I think you can make about corporate America, maybe just modern capitalism in general. I worked at a company that had a huge accounting scandal, and it was not Enron, <laughs> but it was post-Enron. It was basically when a lot of people were under microscopes after the whole Enron thing happened. And when the facts came to light at what had happened there, there was a lot of people saying like, well, I just did what they told me to do. I just did this. I just made the report look like they wanted to. I just did the report like we did the year before. And it was just sort of like, I just did what the higher ups mm -hmm, told me to do. Mm -hmm. And it went all the way up the chain. Like everybody was just mm -hmm. kind of saying, well, I was just following it. And I just, you know, we were just doing the same kind of accounting practices that everybody else was doing. And everything they said was true. They had plausible deniability of everything they had done. Everybody individually felt like they were just doing their job and they hadn't really lied. And you could make that argument, but in the end, they were falsifying their accounting right. records, right? Collectively, right. although everybody right. individually was just kind of doing what they do, right? And right. I think there's kind of a criticism in there that that's kind of how everything happens nowadays, unfortunately, or maybe all, maybe always was this way. And it's just something we're more conscious of now. Yeah, that's a good point. And of course, in this particular case, everybody's just going with the flow, the underlings. And then at the top, the decision makers are really driven by just purely selfish and in some cases, just purely personal vendettas. Yeah. So then Greg goes down to say, hey, we've made the call. It's Mencken. Greg's the one who comes in and say that, says this. And Tom is there. This is another really mm -hmm. weird situation. He sends Greg in there to say the words. And then Tom's like, yes, I've made the decision. So he's there but he lets Greg make the announcement. Very strange. It's almost like the way they fired people the other day. Mm -hmm. So they make the call. And as soon as it happens, almost immediately, Mencken's waiting for it. And he goes and makes his speech saying that, well, hey, this very well-respected mm -hmm. organization has made the call. So I think I'm ready to accept the win. It's weird the way he phrases this, that like, hey, votes could have gone a different way on a different day, but that's not how it went. And then there's a lot of dog whistles in this very disturbing call. He's a defender of democracy, but we have to be aware of democracy also. <laughs> Got to be wary of that democracy. <laughs> Don't we all really crave something clean and true in this dirty land? Not some grubby compromise. This is a very disturbing acceptance speech he has here. And you see Kendall absorbing this kind of being like, what have we done? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, right after that speech, Roman gets a call from Mencken and Roman calls him, hey, Hocus Potus. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that. <laughs> Hocus Potus. I don't have time to talk now, but we're going to go right. really far together. And as the end of this episode wraps up, Tom is being attacked by PGN, and I'm sure by all media outlets being like, mm -hmm. this guy, this guy made the call tonight. He has connections to Mencken. This is all kind of shady stuff going on here. And then we have Kendall in the car. Once again, this shot of Kendall in the backseat of his car. We've seen this so many times over the course of the show. He's wary of everything that's happened tonight. He wants to see his kids. Rava says it's very late. He goes, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll just see you guys at the funeral tomorrow. Of course, we're going to have the funeral tomorrow, next episode. And then he ends things talking to his driver, who's also a minority, by the way, who probably is not happy at all about Mencken winning. And he says to him, some people 
just can't cut a deal. What do you mm-hmm. think that means? Do you think he's blaming like May, uh, Jimenez saying if he had just made a deal with him that things would have gone a different way? Like, Is it a way to exonerate himself from one decision he made? That's the only thing I could think of. But here's my overarching question, which probably there is a very basic answer to that you will tell me. Don't they have this knowledge about the games with the numbers in India? And can't that tank the deal? We have Shiv angrily storming out. She calls Lucas up immediately. Madsen, Mm -hmm. It says to him, we're going to go public with the numbers tomorrow. So rather than burying it, like he was saying, mm-hmm. she has some plan to announce the numbers, which theoretically right. would be bad for him. Right. And she's like, we're going to blow this whole thing up. She basically wants to destroy ATN. My biggest fascination at this moment is understanding what her plan is, because this whole episode was about showing how absolutely terrible she is at playing this game. But maybe that's a setup because she has some grander scheme in place. Maybe she is a good political operator, but she's a planner, not an executor, right? Because how does she going to take these numbers who supposedly are going to hurt Gojo's valuation and somehow destroy ATN with it? I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah, she's got some kind of spin in mind, I guess, but I agree it's confusing as to what it would be. And I think with two episodes left here, I do think it is, once again, a conversation about succession. It is these three that are still the ones who are in the running. We've kind of probably no longer have Tom as a possible winner of the crown. Greg, as much as I like to enjoy enjoy speculate on that, I do not think is actually going to be a player here. But I think this is the question that remains. Kendall still wants to traditionally take over for his dad. You see right now, Roman maybe has been playing an angle this whole entire time. He is currently one of the CEOs. He has dirt on his brother. If his brother does not decide to concede, maybe he'll say, I'll tell everybody about what you did. And who has Mankin's ear right now? I do. So now Roman has a play. Kendall has the current power position, but it is definitely endangered. And is Shiv now going to say, look, ATN, you know, they didn't listen to me today. I am never going to be heard here but Matson will listen to me. I'm going to make him cut mm-hmm. a deal with me. He has to listen to what I have to say. I'm going to win this whole thing for him. I'm going to tell him, look, you're going to get ATN. My plan's going to work. You make me the CEO of ATN. These three are literally right now all maneuvering for that position once again. But more broadly, what is ATN going to be worth at the end of this? Let's say that there is some huge fallout from this election. Right. ATN gets smeared as... Right. Uh, and by the way, I am pretty sure... Tom is going to be scapegoated. I think that's why the Coke thing is actually very important, that they're going to be like, what was Tom thinking in making this call? Do you think- He was high. That, <laughs> yes. Do you think if like the vote total comes in and they're like, look, with the remaining ballots and with, for example, mail-in ballots that came in late, and maybe there were some other ballots in a different location and they kept that quiet, we're not going to tell them that most of the ballots are at the secondary location because the terrorists will just try to firebomb that one too. So we're just going to count the ballots and keep our mouth shut. And then tomorrow, Wisconsin definitely went Democratic. Then they're going to be like, ATN is going to look like terrible. And Kendall's just going to be like, Tom was high. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't our fault. That guy over there, that moron over there, he's the one who did it. Tom's going to definitely be the scapegoat for whatever the fallout of this whole thing is. The thing I'm most curious about is what is Shiv's plan? Especially how does she think that Gojo's bad numbers are going to hurt ATN? That's a really weird, you know, jujitsu move there that I would not have expected. Originally, I thought it was just the idea of like, you know, how they try and 
release controversial news when other stuff right. is going on so that it gets buried. Right. So I thought That's it a good was just point. an idea That's a very... of like timing the news cycle and getting in front of it. So it's like, but I did tell you, it's not something I was trying to hide, but no one paid attention because so much other crap was going on. I think you hit it on the head. If they go public the next day with Logan Roy getting buried and this scandal going on with the election, nobody, nobody is going to pay attention to the Gojo numbers. I think you're right. I think and that's right publicly. But then my question is, isn't it still a basis to blow up the deal, though? Potentially, she has enough dirt to torpedo the valuation of the company. If that happens, then they'll be desperate to take a Gojo purchase mm -hmm. and they'll take, take, take it for even less, right, if they wanted to. Right. Okay. So this might be a spoiler. I don't know, but this is extra textual, so I could be totally wrong. Part of the reason I think that you might see Kendall end up with ATN, and ATN may be worth almost nothing, is because people have made all these different analogies to like what Shakespearean play this show could mm -hmm. correlate to. Okay. And Jeremy Strong has called this Richard III. In Richard III, Richard III ends up king, but basically the country is on fire. Mm -hmm. you know, he, he's, he's won a kingdom of burning wreckage. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, you can imagine ATN is no has no value, but he now is CEO. Congratulations, Kendall, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I do hope that's the case, because I think that even as enjoyable as these characters are, and honestly, if I they had a, a show 10 years later where they're all hippies living on a commune somewhere, uh, you know, uh, try, you know, going to family therapy, I would definitely watch that show because I do want to catch up with these characters in the future. At the same time, I do hope that these terrible, terrible people do face some consequences for their actions. Right. But that's not what really happens in the real world. So maybe that's not going to happen here either. Fair. I do want to circle back to the conversation between Shiv and Kendall. She's not really wanting to put up with him. The pat on the back, We've seen that a couple of times where they're trying to recreate that. Yes. Mm -hmm. That hug again. Yes. <laughs> just, at any point, someone is not into it. Usually Shiv, by the way. Remember when they're trying to like manipulate Shiv with the hug and she's kind of like, yeah. not working <laughs> and trying to do it here again. But when he's talking about how he is not a good dad, he asks her, do you think the poison seeps through? What did, what did you think about that? I mean, I assumed he was talking about just, you know, generational dynamics being very hard to get out from. I mean, he has this pressing on him that he <laughs> he wants to be a good dad. He doesn't want to make these bad decisions, but then he goes and makes them because he just, the selfish incentive is there, right? So it's, it's, <laughs> it's a very cynical view of the world we live in, unfortunately, but maybe true. Those dynamics, good or bad, continue themselves through generations unless somebody is assertively, affirmatively trying to change them. Maybe we've discussed it on the podcast. I'm not sure. One of the things that compelled me to go to therapy is realizing how easy it is to subconsciously continue things that are not healthy dynamics because that's what you know and that's how right. you were raised. You know, and like being able to make that break between what you know and what you wished you had and trying to give that instead, it has to be a very conscious, purposeful decision. I think what we have seen from these characters is that they're not interested in that type of introspection. But they want to like go through the motions that, you know, I've been in therapy, I've been in rehab, yes. you know, to say that they've done the work supposedly to say it, not to do it. Yeah. A couple of quick questions I have, and maybe we talk about scenes for next week briefly as well, but 
Do you feel, I, I felt this way, maybe this is something that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way with the show, maybe it made, made it less pleasant to watch this week than it has in the past. Not only the results of the election, obviously, in this really toxic character, but the fact that they introduced Mencken last year as this really ugly character, and then they haven't really dwelled on him, like you mentioned how we haven't spent that much right. time with him. It's almost like they put him in the back seat so that we can enjoy the comedy of errors with these characters. And there, here's where it rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. I feel like the creators of the show are punishing us now saying like, see, you've been laughing this whole time and this is what you get. I think it's the point they're trying to make, you know, because you think about Roman in this episode, Roman is utterly despicable. Yes. Yes. And, you know, we've been laughing along with him and enjoying him and laughing at us all his quips. But this is what he really is deep down inside, right? That's once again, maybe that's an intentional criticism. Not only that, but how many people I know, people, younger people who voted, voted for Trump, for example, didn't care at all about his policy. They just thought he was entertaining. Like, oh, he's more entertaining than the other guy. Oh <laughs> Isn't that, that a way what we did where we said like, well, Roman's the funnier one. And you're like, well, yeah, <laughs> but you might end up with a fascist in the, in the White House. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this show is about people can't change their nature unless they really don't want to be that anymore. They have too many advantages to being who they are to have a reason to change. So yeah, I think it's one of those things, like I'm sure we all have had friends like this or coworkers like this. You see them do something really awful that you think like, oh, but I get along well with that person. Right, it's so strange right. that they would do that because we have an understanding between us and whatever. And then eventually it does come around to you, right? Someone who lies right. is a liar. Eventually they will lie to you too right, because right. they just, they don't see that that's a moral failing of some sort. And then you think like, well, wasn't I the stupid one? Because I knew this person was like this, right? right. right? So why did I think I would be the exception? Yeah, exactly. Do you have a pet lion? <laughs> eventually and the lion bites you and you're like, you're exactly. Like it. the Siegfried and Roy thing, right? Like, <laughs> right, well, <exactly. laughs> it was a tiger. <laughs> There's that Chris Rock joke about it where he says, yes. um, everybody's talking about how the tiger went crazy. <laughs> the tiger went tiger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, and the last thing is I wanted to talk briefly about the scenes from next week. Interestingly, we don't see Roman giving the eulogy. We see him practicing the eulogy. Yes. Do you think he ever gives this eulogy? I have a feeling that he's not going to be able to do this. He's going to like break down. I could be totally wrong about that, right? Yeah, what an interesting point. Um, I hadn't picked up on that, but I could totally see that happening. Absolutely. It's funny, like you watch like Barry or we used to watch Mad Men. The uh, scenes for next week have absolutely nothing to do with anything. Right. Oh, the Mad and Men then ones were the worst. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. You you have to see Barry. I know you don't watch Barry. The scenes for next week are hilarious. They literally will show like a 10 second sequence um, unedited, just a 10 second sequence from the next episode. And usually it's a scene where no one is talking. Like people will just be like sitting at, in a yes. diner eating for 10 yes. seconds. And that's it. That's the preview for next week. So it yeah. has absolutely nothing to do with anything. <laughs> yeah. The Mad Men ones would be like somebody hanging up a phone looking annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. not, oh my God. It, it would be like 15 shots of random stuff put together. It, it was crazy. It was like Dadaist or something. <laughs> But this show, uh, unlike that, it's it's playing a game with us in the coming attraction. So I am curious to see if they're, you know, setting expectations and then just to knock them down afterwards. Right. Totally forgot to mention is <laughs> I pr was pretty certain we were not going to see 
the grandkids again. But we saw Sophie this week for, for a split second. We saw her in the yes, car. Yes, just for a second and sitting down so that her <laughs> yes, age is a little down. bit more ambitious. Very important. <laughs> <laughs> but are we going to see Iverson next week sitting down? Yeah. <laughs> they have He's a special a chair for him. <laughs> they have a special chair for him so I can sit low, lower than everybody else. <laughs> uh, we'll see if he makes it to the funeral or not. Two more episodes. Two more. It's all over. Two episodes. Pretty crazy. Wow. And the last episode, by the way, supersized. It's going to be over an hour and a half. This one was pretty long. It's like an hour and 10 minutes or something like that. So it's already pretty long episodes we're talking about here. And we'll know how everything turns out soon enough. That's right. Just around the corner. And for anybody who's catching up on Barry, Barry will be wrapping up on the same exact night. What a night for HBO to have Barry and Succession wrapping up. When every single week, by the way, both of those shows setting personal bests for their viewership. So a big win here for HBO. I don't know what's in the pipeline. I mean, they have some big shows coming, but with the writer's strike, there might be some delays on some of these big things they have planned. What we are going to be watching, Sona maybe, I don't know yet. <laughs> We'd be watching this uh, Idol, The Idol, that's coming on <laughs> right after Succession wraps up. Yes, I keep promising you I'll check it out and I just haven't. I'm sorry. Today. Did not have two minutes to check out the trailer. I know. It's such a lame excuse. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, let me send it to you again. Yes. <laughs> I will watch it today. I promise. Honestly, even if it's a disaster, it may be worth discussing. The season's only going to be six episodes long after they've spent like a hundred million dollars making that show twice. Yeah, now it's only going to be, it's a, yeah. So it could be interesting, even if it's a train wreck, but I'll be watching it. I'll probably be covering it here on the show. And of course, we're also wrapping up Yellow Jackets, just two more episodes of that show as well. So I, I think, you know, I might be against popular opinion here, but I really am liking the second season more than I like the first season. I agree with what you're saying. I actually have been pretty happy with it. And I've been hearing some negative things about this uh, season. I think what the first season had an advantage was that it kind of came out of nowhere and it kind of took everybody by surprise. Yes, yeah, so and much course, was that, unknown. Yeah. Exactly. But I feel I, the same way that you do. I think that the first one was all about teasing a mystery and introducing these characters. And it did have some big shock revelations. Jeanette and the show really like blew up, no pun intended, late in its run, <laughs> those last three or four episodes. So once again, I think it had that element of surprise of catching everybody off guard. I think they've done a great job of expanding it this year. And I hope that they have a nice, satisfying season two finale when they kind of had just a cliffhanger for season one, no real finale. Right. I guess that could be a frustration too. I think if you're really, really vested in the mystery of what happened in the past, which I'm not as vested in, I mean, I, I care about psychologically what happened to these girls, but I don't really care about the mystery rules that much. Same. You really Same. haven't found out much about the rules back there. So I guess if that's what you're waiting for, then you probably are frustrated. Yes, that's fair. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. And uh, two more episodes there too. So subscribe so you know when those episodes can become available. And uh, I'll introduce what we'll be covering when this these shows wrap up in the next couple of weeks. Thank you, Sona. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Talk to you later.